What's up, podcast listeners? It's your boy, Matt Baxter on the Matt Baxter Show. I am hanging out with Chris Dyer on this episode of the podcast. Chris is a keynote speaker. He uh, is a consultant all over the world, best-selling author. He's the CEO of People G2, and he is just a phenomenal, phenomenal, phenomenal human being. I had the pleasure of chatting with him for an hour, and we actually recorded this sort of in the heat of the, the COVID situation that happened. He shared his story about how previously, about five years ago, I think, um, they actually switched everything remote. And so he's been a leader and an advocate for helping organizations that are a pretty big scale to be able to make that shift and make that happen. So Chris, I just had an awesome time being a, being a, uh, Somebody who could just soak in like a sponge all the amazing wisdom you had to offer, uh, the you know just the joy that you bring to the, the organization you lead, and some of the most amazing, awesome things that you're doing in the world too. So thank you so much for being a guest on the show, and I uh, just can't wait for people to listen. Chris, thank you so much for being a guest on this podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Matt. It's uh, it's gonna be fun. Obviously, you've done you have a very fascinating background. I'm, I'm excited to hear the story, but you've done quite a bit of public speaking. So I don't think being on a podcast is anything out of the ordinary. No, it's, uh, it feels like home, right? <laughs> love, love that. So if you don't mind, can you just give the background? I'd love for the audience just to hear a little bit more about you and hear your story. Yeah. So I guess I'm sort of an accidental uh, thought leader. Um, so I really went in and sort of dug deep back in 2009 when we had the recession uh, you know, when the housing crisis and all that happened. And I thought, you know, my company is not prepared for the next round. It's not pre prepared for the future. And we really need to get our culture better. We need to change how we operate. Because I really realized that, you know, culture was about me. It was about the relationships I have with people, um, <clears throat> which aren't necessarily bad things. But that can't be like the universal part of what your culture is. And so I said, well, geez, if I'm going to change my culture, what's the right culture to go to? Like, what am I supposed to evolve into? Um, you know, it was sort of like this, uh, you know, like a stem cell having no, no direction on what I'm going to go be now. So um, I decided, well, I better start reading some books and talking to some people. And I got, you know, down the rabbit hole really quick. And at first learned a lot of really cool things that I thought would be great for, for my organization. And then I began sort of having these cool conversations with, you know, I sort of took a, I don't know if you've read any of the Tim Ferriss books, but I mean, he's pretty famous for, in his first one, the four hour work week, talking about just reaching out to these really famous people and these really high level people. And they would sometimes respond back and have a conversation with him or help him. And I did some of that. And, and I learned along the way that most successful leaders and most successful businesses don't do any of the things that society tells us they do, that the news media sort of reports on. They, you know, there, there's this, this kind of, I guess, this ideas of these things you're supposed to do, and most of them don't do it. They actually do these other things really, really well. And of course, it probably helps them a lot for everyone to believe that there's these things you're supposed to do that no one really does, and they waste all their time doing that to give you a competitive advantage. And so I just started talking about it more, doing speeches and podcasts, and that's just sort of uh, in a book. And that's kind of where I am now, where I've you know just continued to be a student of this. And really, I feel like my one of my purposes on this world is to share these secrets and share these things that I know to hopefully help people do it in a much faster, more productive way than I did. You know, taking you know years and years and years to figure it out. Yeah, that's amazing. So I, I want to. Uh hone in on something in particular, what would be one, um, 
real pearl of wisdom that the general population in the business world thinks that they should be doing uh, that is totally wrong that you learned on your maybe maybe early stage journey that you're yeah. like, wait a minute, I learned this in school or wait a minute, I read this and that's not true at all. Would you have one in particular? Yeah, the biggest one was <clears throat> that we're supposed to work on the things that we're bad at, right? That society tells us, our parents tell us, our teachers tell us, everyone tells us, well, geez, you're not, your handwriting's bad. You should really work on your handwriting being better. Or I mean, we have this belief that maybe we're not good at writing or we're not good at math or uh, we're not a patient, whatever the thing is, right? Or maybe just if you look at your work and you say, I'm in sales and someone says, yeah, but you're terrible at bookkeeping. You should go take a bookkeeping class. You should try to get better at the things you're not good at. And and so I see all these people and all these leaders running around trying to be better at these things that A, they're not necessarily good at. Maybe they could be if they tried really hard. You put a lot of effort into it, but they just don't like it, right? It's like, it for me, doing the accounting, doing QuickBooks is like, it kills my soul. Like, I want to just, you know, I want to just die tomorrow. Like, I'm done. And and yet I have a bookkeeper who's like, this is the best thing ever. Her day is just bright and sunny because she loves organizing things and putting it all in there and making the reports for me and getting it all prepared. And she loves it. And so I learned early on, uh, you know, I asked these leaders, I said, should I be working on the things that I'm not good at as a leader? And they said, all said yes. And then the counter question, I always like to ask sort of this counter question just for fun. I said, but do you do that? And they always answered no. So it was like, even they were giving me the false advice without even realizing it, because that's what society tells us. And so they would say, well, no, actually, I, you know, I, I anything I'm not good at, or I don't like to do. I, I, I outsource or I give to somebody else in my company or, you know, I have a great person that takes care of that for me. Um, and so the, the lesson was they spend almost all of their time doing the things they're really good at and the things that they really love doing. Um, I will say the one caveat that I have learned uh, in this journey is that this rule applies everywhere in your life, except with your spouse. You do have to work on those things with your spouse that you aren't good at. You can't get away with it there. Um, but everywhere else in your life, it works. I love that. And I actually like the, the bringing it back full circle, the, the family life as well, too. That's that's good stuff. So uh, on that note, with you, uh, with you doubling down on what you're good at and, and not spending as much time at what you're bad at, how did that, you know, correlate to entrepreneurship and, you know, starting different companies and, and, and your, 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 you know, your business people G2, like how did that correlate all into, to one thing? And, and so like, I guess the question there is, did you throughout the course of your journey, spend the most amount of time doing what you're good at, or did you go through a lot of roadblocks and headaches? Yeah. I mean, I think we, we all sort of, uh, you know, get stuck sometimes doing things that we're not good at. And we have to, it, this is a process and it's almost like a muscle. You have to exercise it in remembering not to do things that you're, you're not good at or that you're not particularly happy to do. Um, and so I found the more that I kept giving people, I would get some people together and say, hey, here's this thing we need to do. Does anyone have a particular passion around this? Does anyone, you know, does this feel like somebody's like perfect day? And you'd be shocked at how many people raise their hand and be like, oh, I'd love to do that project. I'd love to do that thing. And because it was like something that I felt like would kill my soul if I did it, I assumed that's how it was for everybody else. Um, but it's not. Everybody has different things they like. They have different personalities. And so the more I could allow other people to take it on. And if I couldn't find someone in my organization to do it and or do it well, 
then I would go find an outsource partner, right? There's a million freelancers out there. There's other companies that do things really well. And so, and to do that. And, and in turn, I spent more of my time doing the things I am good at, which was coaching my team, you know, managing my team, uh, being a leader of the organization, thinking about things more strategically. Um, if you've ever done strength finders, one of my number one strength is ideation, which means if you give me a thousand ideas, I'm really good at saying, well, these two ideas are the important ones. They're the ones we should focus on. So it's easy for me to, to kind of, I guess, skim through the BS and find what's important. Whereas other people would get stuck evaluating all thousand ideas. So I would start to do the things more and more and more that I was good at. And what we found, and although we changed a lot of things, but this was, I think, certainly part of that change, uh, you know, we suddenly started getting awards for best places to work, which we'd never had before. We've been on the Inc. 5000's fastest growing companies uh, four times now. That never happened before. You know, so these things just started happening. And I guess when they don't happen to you, you feel like, well, they must know somebody or they must be doing something special or we'll never have that. And it was really, you had to just, we had to change what we were doing to have that different success. I love that. I love that. What was the, uh, who was the leader of the personnel in your organization that was the right-hand person that's quote unquote worth their weight in gold or the the, the, if you died tomorrow, they could keep the business afloat. Who is that to you? And you don't necessarily have to name a person, but just the skill set. Well, I, I mean, I've had a few over, uh, over the years. And I think it's someone who's a really good yin and yang to me, um, that they, there's enough that we have in common that we can speak the same language. I'll often with maybe a key executive, read a book together. And then we have kind of a language a framework, or maybe we'll have them go back and read something that I read. And then you know, sometimes it's about vocabulary. It's about having the same language. Um, but if I can, if we can work together and they can start to anticipate what I'm going to say and I can anticipate what they're going to say and they come to me and say, okay, here's where I'm at. And they already know the three questions I'm going to ask. They've already got that prepared for me. And so we're already so far along. Um, and and then to just to, to kind of add on to what we were just talking about, they also possess these abilities and things that I don't want to do. Uh, or I don't like to do, um, you know. So uh, I, I had a, a guy who was in in the in sales for me for a long time, and he really liked to go and have these like you know, uh, kind of ornery negotiations. Sometimes you know he didn't like he didn't mind getting into it with people. That wasn't my style, you know. Uh, I I'd rather go and have a, a nice meal with someone and, and connect with them on something else, and then we'll work on the details. So he 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 kind of liked to get in there and get, get his, you know, his hands dirty sometimes. And that was great because sometimes in some deals and some contracts, I needed someone to do that kind of thing. And I wasn't really, that wasn't my style. And so we could really play off each other based on, on that. And we would talk about that. We would have these meetings and we would talk about what the strategy was and what kind of person we'll be dealing with and who would be the best person to really work with that person and to help them understand what we could offer and what we could do for them. So, you know, having that good kind of person, and I, I've been very fortunate to have several at, at, at any one time um, that really can think differently, enough differently from you that they're providing great value, but still enough of the same that they understand you. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I like that a lot. Um, one quick transition that I want to I want to touch base on. I'd love just to kind of hear your the piece of the story. So will you tell me a little bit about, you know, Vos Capital and all that you're doing on that side of things? 
Um, yeah, so I don't do a lot with them. Um, Woosh does uh, a property investment, so I'm an advisor with them. Um, but they do a lot of uh, uh, you know, commercial real estate um, and and do quite a bit even inside of... Um, they're, they're not directly doing anything with cannabis, but they certainly lease a lot to cannabis, cool. uh, uh, those kind of facilities. So you know, I'm fortunate to be an advisor uh, with them uh, to do some work with another organization called the Hubcraft. And that's sort of you know, cannabis esque, uh, on the, on that side of it, right. Taking advantage of that emerging market. Um, you know, but my, you know, my day job is really more with, uh, people G2 and us doing background checks and drug testing and, and all of that. Yeah, that's amazing. And, and the reason why I bring that up is because what I'm seeing here from your, your story, kind of the, the, the journey is you've been an entrepreneur. You are, as you, I think you alluded to sort of an accidental thought leader, you're an advisor, but then you're also maintaining the business that you found it. And that takes a lot of different skill sets in the midst of all those. Do you have one that when you're laying up at night and you're just, you're just letting your mind wander, do you have one that you gravitate towards the most of whether it's an advisor, a startup founder, a business owner and maintainer, or, you know, maybe an investor, like, do you have one that you prefer to be thinking about or spending time, you know, dreaming about whatever that might be? Well, you know, I do certainly have the, uh, the habit of, I like new things. I like new ideas and new experiments and new products and new services. And I like, you know, to sort of be, you know, I would, you probably categorize me as an early adopter, someone who, you know, I was happy to have the new iPhone when it first came out, even though it didn't, do anything. It was crap. You know what I mean? But it was new. It did. And so having that experience of, of being there to kind of test those new things is sometimes fun and exciting. So right now with everything going on with the COVID pandemic, my really my focus and my core um, thoughts are completely with people G2, my core business. I was, you know, 95% of my time is spent thinking about that because this is really a, a unique time and the business really needs my uh, my expertise and my creativity to help us endure this. But prior to that, let's just go back a few months, right? Uh, to kind of maybe put ourselves in a more typical setting that I think of what you're asking, you know, at the end of the night, what am I thinking about? Well, Hubcraft is a new endeavor that uh, we're, we're, I'm working with. Um, and, and, and so that has been exciting. And so um, it, it's a new type of business. It's, it's essentially agriculture, right? Um, and, and be, and we have to, we've had to figure out how to grow indoors, uh, in a, in a state where it's, uh, the weather is not tr typically very good. And how do you do that? And how do you deal with all the regulations and compliance? I mean, all of that was just sort of, it's a fun puzzle, uh, to, to often think about. And I've been really fortunate to have, um, I think everything I've always, always done has been, I start it and I bring along a team. And with this particular project, like I was brought into an existing team who was already really incredible. And so it was a kind of a fun, different way that I'm going to come in. And all I have to worry about is my part and being the best I can be about my part, which is different than some of my other companies where I need to come in and I'm leading that organization and I'm uh, really curating everything that's happening uh, for everybody. In this other one, I'm just show up and do my thing and then, then I'm done. So that, that's kind of a different uh, mindset, which is a lot of fun. Yeah, that's that's gonna be a little different, and I'm I'm sure at times fun because you don't have the pressure or the stress of the uh, of the day to day operations or the day to day stress, but also you lose a little bit of the decision making because you don't have the control over that. So it's, that's an interesting, probably cool learning curve for you. So I I, I like to hear that a lot. Um, so with 
everything going on with COVID and your expertise and kind of thought leadership, I know you've done a lot of speaking around remote work. And so I'd love just to dive in and hear a little bit about just the thoughts of, of what that was like pre-COVID and then what even more amplified or, or, or thoughts related to what's going on and sort of how you see things in six months. Would you mind just kind of sharing a little bit about, you know, early early stage before COVID and then kind of where, where, where we're at today? Sure. So um, my company, we went fully fully remote back in 2009. So we're 100% remote. Everybody works from home. Um, we have all of our full-time people and 3,000 independent contractors that we work with every day. So we really take this to the to the extreme. And I would say that even though remote has become more popular uh, since then, I mean, back in 2009, we hid the fact that we were remote. We would pretend that we had a traditional office. Uh, we even had a you know a place where someone could show up and you know, it would seem like we were we were there in that you know little office area, um, and and so attitudes have changed over time, and, and more and more companies are at least allow remote work or are remote, and so that's been good that there has been that shift. Um, there still was this still barrier, and I've I've spent you know a few years talking about remote work. I mean, I was in South Africa in Johannesburg at a conference talking about remote work. And the people looked at me like I was crazy. I mean, they, they were like, our companies would never allow this. Like, what are you talking? I mean, and they, and they were gobbling it up. They loved the, the concept and the ideas and they, and they wanted to learn more, but like, you know, for them, that was like, would never happen. And, and we're farther along, I think in the United States with that. So then comes along COVID and suddenly everyone's forced home. And I think that it's, it's really, it's done a few things. So on the positive side, it has shown people that they can collaborate, they can work from home, they can be done. Um, it's shown people that, uh, what I think, something I've been talking about for a long time, which is you can be remote if you have a good, at least a good culture. Uh, great is even better, but if you at least have a good culture. But if you have a bad culture, if remote doesn't work. Um, because bad cultures want to do command and control. They want to to see you, they want to make you, they, you know, no one leaves until the boss leaves. There's no trust. There's, you know, so if you're working for a really bad culture that uses really primitive ways to motivate people, remote work isn't really functional for them because they can't, you know, exercise their terrible leadership on you. If you're working from home, you can escape them and that's not what they want. So you have to have at least a good culture. So certainly the tools and everything people are seeing are better on the negative side though. People uh, may be uh, having this experience that maybe they don't like remote right now because they went home to work and they went home with their spouse and their kids or their grandkids or their grandparents or their in-laws. And that's not usually what happens in remote work. I mean, all of my employees work from home by themselves. Their spouse and their kids are not home for most of the day. So well, the value of remote work is they get peace and quiet. They get time to deeply focus on their work without distraction. Um, they get the ability to stop, you know, to kind of do their work for four hours, stop, go do something else, maybe go pick up the kids, maybe walk the dog, whatever they want to do, and then come back to it. They have a lot of freedom to choose when they want to work. Right now, that's been restricted and that's been complicated. So we'll see as we come out of this um, what people take from it. Um, cause I think it really is a great way to work unless you're making wine and you have to work at the vineyard or you're making an airplane and have to work on an assembly line. You know, most of us can work from home and I think it's the better way to work, but I probably wouldn't work from home if I had to 
be around my entire family all the time. Every, you know, every waking moment, I probably would want to go into an office if, you know, so it, it will depend on how we come out of this. Back in 2009, when you decided to go fully remote, was that a, for lack of better terms, a light switch? It was, I'm done. I'm sick of the office. I'm sick. I, I guess that's a question in of itself. What initially caused it? What sort of snapping point, breaking point, we need to do this? And then also, was it a pretty much overnight thing that you rolled out or how did that transition happen? Yeah, so this gets back to my kind of accidental thing, right? Um, we decided to go remote, not because of some great, uh, you know, purpose-driven, altruistic, you know, thing. It was to save money. We did it purely because we needed to save a lot of money to survive the recession. And so we got rid of rent and phones and all these expenses. Um, and that really, really helped us survive, helped us keep our people during that time. And then we discovered by accident, wow, this really is a better way to work. And we had to change how we worked. And that change we sort of redesigned everything in a far better way. We became way more productive. We became happier. My employees loved it. Um, we discovered that we had employees that we thought were fantastic, that were actually terrible. And employees we thought we might get rid of that were actually our top employee because when we started you know, giving out the work in a very democratic way and we were measuring it in a much more objective way, um, we've, we made a lot of really interesting discoveries. And so as that happened, that suddenly thrust us into, wow, this is really cool. We should spend more time thinking about this. We should spend more time developing this. We should talk to more people and and really, you know, ramp this up. I mean, it's sort of like you re if, if you were riding a bicycle around and someone handed you an old motorcycle and you were like, wow, that's better than what I was doing before. I'm going faster. I can get places quicker. Wow. How do I get, how do I go from that motorcycle to a car or to a Lamborghini or a race car or whatever? How, you know, how do, how do I ramp this up and get something better and better and better because of the results that we were, we were getting, we were seeing. Uh, now, so the one part of your question is, is how quickly we do this. We literally set a date and said, okay, um, you know, the last day is this day. We took all of our stuff home and got rid of all the furniture and all that. And then, you know, I forget the actual date, but let's just say July 1st, everyone was working from home. So we made, we made that switch instant. We did not do it slow. We're more of a yank the Band-Aid off kind of a company. I like that. That's amazing. And I'm we're, we're going through that too. I, I personally have pretty much been remote for the last five years. And we, we now are taking on some employees and taking on some employees in the midst of all this. And it, it's been fun to, for the business to grow. It's been interesting just sort of balancing uh, the management style, not in the sense of like people getting their work done, but more the personnel style. And, and you know, how do you do things like group happy hours remotely that keeps people positive and engaged without it being too over the top. You know, it's just an interesting coming up with different ideas that, you know, so many different companies are as well too. It's just, it's a, it's a fascinating time for it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So you being in the, you know, HR technology background check space, how has uh, entrepreneurship and being in HR tech conflicted with each other? Uh, I, and I'll give you an example where the question comes from. I'm a bit of a bull in a China shop with new ideas. I love new ideas. I love, uh, you know, 
getting right into something, rolling it out. And so when you're dealing sometimes in HR, it might be a little bit of a slower buying cycle or a little bit of a a more reserve, less on the early adopter stage. So how for you have you seen the confliction between the industry that you play in and you being an entrepreneur? You know, is there is there any conflict between those two things? You know, I think it's all about the approach. So, um, you know, you have to figure out if something is a good idea and if it's going to be you know, is it going to work or if it's going to solve a need? Um, you got to do testing. You got to get out there and do market research. Ultimately, what I have found is if you have a good idea and it's going to help people, it, it it's you know you can be more effective. But you know, there's a group of people who want to talk to you and and, and want to do it and and will uh, you know go down that road with you. And if you can get that, then you can find other ways to to amplify that message and to get out to more people. But if you are really struggling to get anyone to want to pay attention to you or even talk about your idea and you're no one's willing to to move it forward to the next step or to their boss or whatever you know maybe, maybe your idea just isn't very good uh, or maybe the way you're packaging it isn't very good um, and so we have to you know be willing to 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 pivot and to test and to think about those things early on and to get that message right because when it's right when if any of us have been involved in something when it, it's it's like you know it's so easy because people just want it. Um, you're, you're looking for that type of a, a scenario. And if you could find it, usually you have that in the beginning and then competition comes along and then it's a different challenges. But in the beginning, you know, if you're selling something new or you have some new iteration, you have some new product or service, you know, you should, people should be relatively excited about exploring that with you and trying it. Yeah, that's cool. Um, so, then transitioning now for for the you know more seasoned veteran uh, leader in you, what advice do you have or thoughts do you have? And I, I guess you you did a little bit in the last answer. What advice or thoughts do you have for the 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 aspiring entrepreneur or the entrepreneur in the middle of running a company and they're they're looking for their next sort of breakthrough? What what would you have done differently, or what would you be advising you know from your perspective at the high level that people aren't even thinking about? Well, you know. I- it, it, I guess it depends on what kind of entrepreneur you are. Are you, there are people who are entrepreneurs because they find a good business and they want to run that business the best they can um, and have some desire for that business uh, down the road, whether it is to hand it off to somebody else or to sell it or, or whatever. And so if that's your path, that's great. And there are people who are serial entrepreneurs, right? That are always looking for the new idea, new companies, and so that's a different path because you might be looking to start something and sell it quickly, start something, get some great management in there, and then leave it and let it go go and run itself, right? That you don't really need to step into there too often, um, and you're on to the next thing. Uh, and that's a totally different path, and that takes a different type of person because you have to be very, very trusting. You have to be very confident in the people that you bring in and, and give them very clear goals about what you want and then let them to go and, and do those things. Um, what I often see people struggling with is they, um, they will, uh, try to do a little bit of both, right? They think they're still entrepreneurs. They want to have their hands in everything, but yet they can't ever leave anything. And so they end up having their hands in everything, but not for very long. And so they're very, uh, they move very slow and they're just, just sort of more of a hindrance than they are a help in a lot of those organizations. So they get to be very clear about who you are. What's, what's that ideal, situation look like for you and and then counter that with life doesn't always give you that there's not always you know it's sort of looking for opportunities i mean right now what is your opportunities what are the things you can do 
it's a different answer than it was six months ago and probably a different answer that's going to be in six months. So you have to be constantly evaluating and think about thinking about those things uh, and finding your opportunities and, and being patient uh, for the right thing that makes you excited, that, that you think will work. Um, entrepreneurship is a little bit like poker. If you've ever watched poker on TV, especially like Texas Hold'em, you know, the, they edit that to make it look like those guys are, and, and, and women are, are playing all these hands, and, and they're not. They're actually playing very, very little hands. Uh, they actually sit out most of the time. Uh, most of that game is terribly boring and them throwing away their cards and passing and moving on to the next opportunity. Um, and so that's a little bit like entrepreneurship. You have to be patient and wait for the right moment. And, and then when you go, you'll go at it hard and do your best and, and see what happens. I've never heard of entrepreneurship being referred to uh, like poker. And that makes so much sense now that you say that aloud. I like that reference a lot. <laughs> um, so my, my, my last and my favorite question on the planet is basically, you know, what is it that, that gets you out of bed in the morning the most? And, you know, an added piece of that is what's, what's the influence that you hope to, to, to leave on people? And, and you know, what, what is it that sort of drives you to do what you do and the impact that you hope to have? Well, I hope that people um, can learn the, like I said, learn the lessons that I learned, um, and and hopefully take that information and be able to apply it. You know, I, I it took me years of learning and and testing and all of this to try to come up with the right approach. And when we found it, now I can hand it. Someone can read my book or hear one of my talks and. They could take that knowledge and implement it in a month or in a week or in a day, right? Depending on the size of the organization, um, that's uh, that's what I hope that they can they can have that. I mean, I think anyone who's made discoveries, anyone who's invented something, anyone who's you know has had an epiphany, they hope that they can share that with the world and help somebody else get from point A to point B faster, uh, more effectively, uh, and have a real impact on their organization. Um, and I think that's that from a from a broader sense would certainly certainly be what uh, I would hope. And you know, on a more you know personal note, I I think I just sort of strive every day to be the best leader that I can for for my team and to help us in any way we can. And whatever hat I got to wear today, or whatever we gotta we gotta go after to try to try to do that together in the most you know kind of positive best way possible. That's special. It's good stuff. I want to we'll obviously include, um, you know, links to your book as well, too, in the show notes. But is there anything you want to leave the audience with or um, a, a best place for uh, for them to reach out to you, you know, to connect or anything like that? Uh, I'm always happy to accept uh, good uh, LinkedIn connections. So if anyone wants to reach out that way, they can also go to my website, Chris P, like Patrick, Chris P. Uh, like you said, you put the link to the book you can find it on Amazon, The Power of Company Culture. Um, but wherever they want to reach out, I'm on all the different social platforms um, and they can find me there and I'm happy to connect and, and uh, you know, have a conversation. Chris, thank you so much for being a guest on this podcast. This has been awesome. I've learned a lot. And I think, uh, you know, being on the forefront of uh, remote work and then now with COVID-19, I definitely think listeners are going to tune in to hear your thought leadership and everything as well, too. So thank you so much for being a guest on this podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Take care.